with that, we'll uh, we'll open it up to this late arriving uh, media crowd that uh, must have uh, enjoyed the the weekend. Um, that's usually ten dollars um, that we put in the kitty um, for. We, we'll have a big bash at the end of the year at my place. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with winning. I think it has to do with being on time. What was that? The guy lost a close game. Who do you think is more hurt by the loss, Brian Kelly or the lady that was asking the question? How about be on time? Then I can assure you that she will not be having access to the LSU program. Just saying. Not very professional down there in Baton Rouge, but either way, we are going to be on time. We're going to be dialed in. It is always college football. Today is Wednesday, September 7th. You'll have to excuse my voice. I'm battling something right now. Not anything too serious. I'll be back ready to rock and roll on Saturday when we get things going again. So if you're worried about me like missing time, I ain't missing time. It's college football season. You got to just get ready to rock and roll. All right. Just maybe a little treatment, a little training. We'll be good to go. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. What a game plan we have in store for you today. We have 10 questions that we want to get answered. That's the thing that we always do on Wednesdays. A lot of questions coming off week one performances. Can teams about back or is what we saw what they are? Big question marks here for a lot of teams heading into week number two. We're also going to take a look at the AP Top 25. We're not going to overreact to it. The AP Top 25 is what we've said it is. It's meaningless. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on it. But either way, there were a couple notable takeaways from the AP Top 25. And then we will look at another great episode of Eli's Places. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. You've seen it. The AP poll is out. Not a ton of crazy movement, but there's always a little bit of overreaction after the first week of polling. And I think it's it's justifiable to, to kind of go through it a little bit. We don't usually put a ton of stock in the AP poll. We will spend a little bit more time on the college football playoff rankings when those come out, because that is, I think, a more comprehensive view of what we're trying to do, given the fact that the college football rankings they take eight weeks before they start putting polls out. But nonetheless, the AP does a thankless job, and I appreciate them for it. A couple of takeaways. Nothing outrageous. Georgia jumped Ohio State. They're now up to number two. You can make a case, regardless of, of how you feel, the best performance of the weekend was Georgia. So if you want to make a case to move them all the way up to the number one line, I wouldn't push back on that. Alabama was steady and cruised against a team that won double-digit games last year and won 55 nothing, and really didn't have to sweat whatsoever. Really had no reason to have any issues. But they dominated Utah State. So if you want to keep Bama at one, that's fine. But if you're base, basing the performance off of how teams played in week one, Georgia's probably your number one ranked team. Other things of significance. Michigan, up four spots. I'm not sure why. I thought Michigan looked really good, for sure. But four spots of movement? I mean, that's that's a pretty decent-sized leap. I thought Caden McNamara, of course, had his struggles. J.J. McCarthy looked pretty good. Defensively, I was really impressed with how they handled the tempo. So Michigan jumping up wasn't really that surprising, but four spots felt like a little bit of an overreaction. Oklahoma jumped up a couple spots as well. USC... Talk about overreaction up four spots. They played rice y'all like, let's not, you know, let's not get carried away. I mean, four spot jump based on the performance against rice. That seems aggressive. 
other teams of significance. Florida's all the way up to number 12 now. Florida was unranked in the preseason. This is a major overreaction. Uh, look, I'm glad. I'm calling the Florida game this week. So I'm I'm happy that Florida is up at number 12. That's great for the game because now you have a top 20 matchup against Kentucky. But they had, to, had a couple red zone stops. Anthony Richardson looked amazing. I mean, but to be unranked and now all the way up to 12 seems seems like a pretty decent sized move. So other massive overreactions, Oregon falling all the way out of the top 25. I'm not saying they should be in the top 25. I thought they looked bad last week. No doubt about it, but to be number 11 in the preseason and then drop all the way out. That's the way we should evaluate every team. Like every single week, we should completely scrap the week before and start from scratch because you look at this AP poll I mean, it's like, oh, well, this team won. Let's move them up one. And this team lost. Let's move them down a couple. But their preconceived notions are already baked into the equation when you're trying to assess these teams in a 1 through 20 to 25 basis. You should just start from scratch. Team played great, reward them. Team played bad, take them out. Utah, for example, I don't think they should be ranked number 13. They played bad. They didn't play great. Couldn't finish drives in the red zone. Didn't do terrible, but... Couldn't finish drives in the red zone. Simple as that. They shouldn't be third team in the country. Did they have the 13th best performance last weekend? I don't think so. Did they have a top 25 performance last weekend? Arguably, but probably not. I mean, we should rank teams accordingly. For instance, NC State, they go and play a difficult spot at East Carolina. Don't think they looked great by any stretch of the imagination, but did they deserve to drop five spots because they played against a quality bowl East Carolina team in their house? And they played really poorly, had a couple goal line stops. And as a result, the game got hotly contested and they had to rely on a missed extra point and a missed field goal to actually win the game. Yeah, I mean, they got away with one for sure. But to drop them five spots, I, I don't know. I just don't necessarily like the process. Like we should start from scratch every week. Scrap last week. Here's this week. React to the games this week. Scrap this week. Here's next week. But it seems like we almost start with the weeks before or the week before, and then we just adjust teams accordingly based on where they were the previous week. And that, to me, feels like we're doing a little bit of disservice when it comes to ranking these teams and trying to evaluate these teams on a bigger picture. So long story short, AP poll is as follows. Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. No surprise there. Ohio State, I, did they deserve to get dropped? I, I'm not 100%. I, it doesn't really bother me that bad, if I'm being totally honest with you. It's it's okay. But they struggled, looked a little shaky. Maybe the receivers didn't play quite as well, but you also have to give credit to Notre Dame in the process. So that's your top three. The rest will round out. You could see it here with some of the graphics that we'll put together. Rest around out. Like I said, that's about as much as we'll probably do on the AP poll in quite a while. Unless there's some earth-shattering movement next week, you're not going to have a weekly breakdown of all the movement and all the things that go down as far as the AP poll is concerned. Macro, if you had to redo it from week after week, where would you put Florida State this week if you had to do the AP poll? Florida State and LSU – based on how they played on Sunday, would probably still be on the outside looking into the top 25. Just full disclosure, the mistakes that were made, the, I mean, Florida State and LSU, for that matter, both made a cacophony of, cacophony of errors. I mean, punts, 
being dropped, field goals and extra points being blocked, uh, pitching it on the goal line fumble, uh, allowing LSU to go 99 yards after said pitch and fumble in a two-minute operation with one timeout. I mean, uh, they're just neither team last week. Well, I came away super impressed with the resilience that both teams showed in some ways. There were also a ridiculous amount of mistakes that were made. So, like I said, maybe not in the top 25. If I did squeak them in, I'm really going to actually do this exercise. They'd probably be somewhere between 20 and 25 uh, if I had them in at all. But still, I mean, it's not like they came away. It's not like I came away last week saying, man, Florida State's unstoppable force. I came away saying, man, Florida State was pretty fortunate to win that game. Uh, same LSU was pretty fortunate to be in that game. So both teams, I think, Hey, exciting game on Sunday. It was awesome, but are they really deserving of top 25 credentials just yet? Probably not. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like players and fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Moving on to a segment we do every single Wednesday, the 10 questions that we have heading into the weekend. So, Mark, let's kick it off. All right, number one here. Why did Houston choose to play offense when they won the toss in overtime? Uh, this was fascinating because I'm watching this game live thinking, offense? Huh. I haven't seen anybody pick offense in a while, and if it does, it's usually a big story. Well, not so fast, my friend. This goes back actually to 2020 when Houston's coaching staff was sitting there watching other games. Remember Houston there at the beginning of 2020 had like four straight games canceled. I don't know if you remember that, but they didn't play for like a month. They'd prep and then they'd get their game canceled for whatever reason. So long story short, this goes back to 2020. And they did a full evaluation of overtime and overtime rules and what the outcomes are for overtime. I thought this was really interesting. And if you want to read The Athletic, there's a great breakdown on on why Houston decided to choose offense every single time that they were in the overtime period. Over the course of time, about 781 overtime games have been played in NCAA history. This was back in 1996 that they implemented the overtime rule. So we're talking about a roughly a 26-year period, 781 games. It's found that the team that started on defense has won the game 52% of the time. Well, interestingly enough, in the last seven years, as things have started to change, and think about how different offenses were back in 1996 compared to where we're at just now. In the last seven years, the team that plays offense has won about 54% of the time. Now, it's a big swing, right? A right? couple of reasons why. 
Uh, I think pressure more than anything else. You go out, you score, you set the tone, you put the pressure on the opposing team. And uh, I do think another reason, because offenses are more willing to take risks now. There's a lot less risk aversion in college football nowadays. So you go on offense, you go right down the field, you score, all the pressure's on the opposing team. Like There's two reasons, two justifiable reasons to choose offense first. And if the numbers back it up. Like I said, the last two years, 54% winners if the offense starts first. The last two years, the team that starts on offense first won 57% of the time. So very, very wild right there. But Mark, you're right. It might be one of those that's just going to game changer as far as the philosophy is concerned as, it, as you approach over time. Still might be up to the coach. But there are numbers to suggest that starting on offense, especially in the last decade, it gives you a better chance of being successful in the long run. All right. Number two, will Spencer Rattler improve from last week and give South Carolina a chance against Arkansas? Before we answer that question, let's take a listen to what Spencer Rattler had to say. I liked how I extended the play, um, took what they gave me at times. And then, but really I like how I extended the play, you know, when stuff broke down and, and found my receivers on, on, on some routes, um, you know, Obviously, as a group, myself, everybody, we're, we always want to clean stuff up. I mean, it's game one. You, you, everybody's got stuff to clean up after week one. Um, so, you know, we're going to take a big jump this week. We had an amazing practice today. I think our best practice so far. Um, had a great practice and, um, you know, just preparing for game two. Look, that's Spencer Rattler. And, and I think he's going to be a little bit unfairly characterized for how he performed last week. Now, fair or unfair, they didn't look great offensively. They really, for the most part, struggled throughout the course of the game. If you look at Georgia State's defense and their structure, though, it's, it's a little bit more justifiable than you may think. The biggest thing about Spencer Rattler is you can't play quarterback by yourself. All right. <laughs> Just so you know, you sacked three times, felt like he was constantly evading pressure, felt like he was constantly under duress. It felt like it was a rare occurrence when he actually had a clean pocket. Georgia State was bringing fairly relentless pressure to try to kind of mess with an offensive line that has been, for the most part, retooled. And then if you look at what they did on third down, especially, it was, there were a lot of exotics. Just put it this way, all right? It was very, very difficult. South Carolina finished just 300 yards total offense, uh, and 79 of those yards were rushing yards. Uh, Now, they did show signs at some point in the second half. Like, you look at the second half, the second drive of the second half, it's like, all right, if they can be that, South Carolina is going to be in great shape. Uh, I also thought that it was a positive to know that Spencer Rattler clearly is going to be on the same page with Antoine Wells, who's the transfer from James Madison. It appears as though he's going to be a go-to guy within this offense. He caught seven, seven passes, the game high. Uh, also, Jalen Brooks for South Carolina had four catches for 88 yards. So those two guys clearly on the same page as Spencer Rattler, but the offense really lacked a lot of rhythm. Hopefully that's something they can get addressed moving forward. And hopefully the offensive line and Spencer Rattler's chemistry with the offensive line, hopefully they'll take the next step here in the days and weeks to come because they're going to have to as they enter into SEC play. All right, number three, speaking of the SEC, can Tennessee rush the passer against Pitt? I would say the pass rush is a significant concern. And coming into the season, to be honest with you, 
there were a lot of people that were starting to say, hey, this Tennessee, keep an eye on Byron Young, you know, keep an eye on Jeremy Banks. And a lot of people were kind of sitting there saying, hey, Tim Banks, his defensive philosophy, he's going to allow guys to tee off. Like last year, they did a great job in creating negative plays. That's just what they did. But through game one, I was a little bit disappointed. They failed to register a sack in the first game of the season against Ball State. The last time an SEC team failed to register a sack against a MAC team, Mid-American Conference team, that was Tennessee against Ohio back in 2016. It's been six years. Now, I know that the SEC and the MAC, they don't play each other that often. So you could say, well, six years isn't that long. How many matchups have there been? I, I don't care. Tennessee didn't have a sack. And all offseason, we'd heard about how their pass rush has improved. And how they, you know, Byron Young has come into his own and he's going to be a disruptive force. And it, I need to see more. As simple as that. I just need to see more. I, I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll find it at some point, but I'm not sure that the pass rush is as improved as they might have liked us to feel about it coming into the season. So fingers crossed that was just a one game and they didn't show anything too outrageous and maybe they just kept it very vanilla. But either way, moving forward, and especially this week against Pitt, you got to hit Keaton Slovis. I mean, he played pretty well last week. I thought he did a lot of nice things. There were a few misses, a few close ones that were just off the mark on big plays downfield that if he can connect on those, that offense is going to be scary good. So they are close, it felt like, at Pitt. And a good quality pass rush might disrupt the rhythm and the progress that Pitt is trying to make offensively. So uh, it'll be a great matchup this weekend. I can't wait for it. We'll break it down a little bit more in the days to come. But Tennessee Pitt, definitely one of the games of the weekend. And hopefully Tennessee can find that pass rush to disrupt the rhythm of the Pitt offense. All right, number four. Will Notre Dame find a rhythm on offense against Marshall? Man, you got to hope so. I mean, I, I don't really know how else to describe it. It, it was not, it was not pretty. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't know how else to to really. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that there's no way that you can't improve. Like you have to improve over 253 yards of total offense. Uh, the only issue is I can't really nail it down to just one specific problem. I mean, the issues were kind of all over the place. They couldn't run the ball with any type of consistency. The passing game was for the most part ineffective without, you know, a few good plays and situationally third and third for 13, three for 13, excuse me on third downs uh, and failing to convert in the red zone trip to, to a touchdown. I mean, situationally it is, it has really not been very good. Um, you look at how they've performed in the last five seasons against Georgia. Remember, that's probably top-tier competition. So I'm kind of comparing Notre Dame. And when we look at Notre Dame, just understand this. Like, I'm looking at Notre Dame through a lens of expecting them to be in the playoff mix. So can this team now close the gap with teams that are likely going to be in the college football playoff? So we know this past year, we know Ohio State's probably going to be in a pretty good spot to maybe make a playoff run. Uh Against Georgia in recent years, Notre Dame scored a combined 35 points in two matchups. In the ACC title game against Clemson, they scored 10 points. Uh, against Clemson in the Cotton Bowl, scored three points. 
scored 14 points against Alabama in the Rose Bowl and 13 points in a home loss last year against Cincinnati. So how have they fared in settings against college football playoff caliber teams? Not well. That, I think, is something that they need to get adjust. And Tommy Reese, I think, and his staff, they need to do a better job of of finding ways to create matchup advantages. Now, Tyler Buckner, of course, a lot's going to be taken from this. A little up and down in his first career start, but I think he'll get better. I think Lorenzo Styles has a chance to be a really good player in time. But I just think they need to get more out of their receiving group, and they might need to be just the tiniest bit more creative in their run game as well. So I'm not saying it's over, but against Marshall, you should have a big pickup since the question was specific to Marshall, the offense should be considerably better. But against college football caliber opponents, they have to be able to create explosive offense. And until they do, I think they're going to struggle when they get to the biggest games on the schedule against top-tier competition on the defense side of the football. Couldn't agree more. All right, number five. (laughs) Anything you'd like to add as our resident Notre Dame homer? I'll say this. uh, You know, it's not so much just only scoring big points against, or, you know, a lot of points against those college football playoff caliber teams. It's what drives Notre Dame fans nuts and what gets the overrated thing going is when they only put up 14 points versus a Vanderbilt or barely beat a Ball (laughs) State or Miami of Ohio or Toledo. And that always happens after these big games where you have all your energy. So if anything wants to change from the Brian Kelly era to the Marcus Freeman era, they have to put up 40 points against Marshall and look like a legitimate top 10 team. And until they do that, I can get on board with that. The same thing. Yeah, I can get on board with that. The other thing that I think is a little concerning for Notre Dame is I thought the interior of the offensive line, one of the strengths of the team. I mean, Ohio State was painfully bad against the run last year. I know it's a different year, different team. Like Ohio State, they were gettable on the ground last year. Well, there wasn't much push being provided by Notre Dame at any point. There wasn't much so, push. Zeke Carroll was getting tossed around like a rag doll. You can't have Zeke your starting Carroll, center getting tossed Zeke around. Zeke Carroll had a like really that. tough time. And he had a tough time, I think, to recognize some of the pressures and looks that, that Ohio State was giving him. So you're right. I, I think they'll get better. I'm not going to be too concerned right now because I've seen in the era, uh, in the era of Tommy Reese calling plays, I saw them score a bunch of points, but it gets a pretty good Oklahoma State defense last year. Like they're going to be all right. They're, they'll be fine. Get it ironed out just week one. It's my plea to Tommy this week. Open it up. <laughs> Moving on. Number five. Will App State challenge the Texas A&M defense? Coming into the coming into the game, I would have said no. Um, coming into the season, I suppose. Because if I look at A&M, I think A&M obviously is, is a very, very talented defense. We know that. But what I would say is that the way App State tries to create their run game, they're kind of running right into the teeth of the A&M defense. So I think that after watching their performance against North Carolina, and let's, let's not, you know, let's not lose sight of what that was. App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. uh, One of the craziest games we've ever seen. And I think that there was, Uh, enough to take away from that game feeling like it was more about North Carolina and them being fatigued than it was anything else. I thought North Carolina actually early in the game hung in there pretty good on the defense side of the football and they just, they couldn't get things going. So when I look at what Texas A&M brings and, and the line of scrimmage that Texas A&M will bring, 
I think this is a totally different animal. Uh, I thought AM, if you want to ask questions about their offense, like I'm the tiniest bit concerned about their offense. Yeah, Kane's King threw for 350. He was also threw a couple interceptions. Uh, that's kind of interesting. You know, I mean, he's got to be able to be clean with the football because if you look at this App State team, they're very opportunistic. They do a really good job. So App State will make life difficult, I think, because of their balance. I was a really, really, really surprised by how well Chase Bryce played at times the other day. I thought he missed some throws. For sure. Yes, there were some throws that he missed. But for the most part, he he made a couple of big third downs. He kept drives alive. So there is reason to believe that he can actually carry App State to victory. I didn't think he could coming into the season, if I'm going to be completely honest. I thought he was a solid quarterback. But what was going to make this offense elite was what they did running the football. And and I'm getting the sense now that he is more capable than even I assumed. So we'll see. I, I think that this will be a an interesting game, but I'm not sure that App State has the horses to be able to keep up with Texas A&M just yet. It's one thing to play games close against Power 5 competition like North Carolina. It's another thing to play games close against Power 5 competition like Texas A&M. Two completely different animals. And if you look at how App State has fared in their last two games against Power 5 opponents, they're both against UNC, uh, but they also played at Miami last week, last year. Both were decided by just two points. And the last six games against Power 5 competition, yes, App State's two and four, but... Those six games have been decided by a combined 20 points. So App State traditionally in this situation has played really, really well. But, it's a big but, they haven't seen anything quite like Texas A&M just yet. So A&M's got to be better. they got to be cleaner. But I think they should win the game comfortably on Saturday. All right, number six. Can Cam Ward handle the heat of a Jim Leonard defense? Oh, this is the welcome to the FBS moment, isn't it? <laughs> Washington State quarterback Cam Ward. Pretty impressive in his debut. I don't think we're going to lose a whole lot of sleep over the fact that it was against subpar competition. That's fine. Cam Ward, for those that are unaware, transferred up from the FCS, from Incarnate Word, and found Washington State as a home. His job well done week one. But now he's going against a defense that picked off, picked up right where they left off from last year. I mean, Wisconsin shut out Illinois State in week one. I know it's Illinois State, but still, shutout's a shutout. And no one has allowed fewer yards per game in the last decade than the Badgers. They allow 288 yards per game. So we're talking about maybe one of the best defenses in America again this year. Rinse and repeat. Wisconsin's always one of the best defenses. But it'll be fascinating to see how Cam Ward, the super talented, very gifted player from Incarnate Word now playing at Washington State to see how he handles his first real challenge against quality competition. All right, number seven, are Oklahoma State's problems on defense correctable? Let's take a listen to Mike Gundy to find out. We weren't as clear on the headsets as we were last year because they're all new. And there's a lot that goes on on game day. So there's communication with the defensive coaches in different areas, communication on blocking schemes, route concepts. Um, they take it all in. Then they, they've got to get it communicated, then get it to the players, get him back on the field. There's a lot that goes on. And 
I don't have any way to make it happen smooth without experience. They need experience working together just like the players do. So um, the good news is 90-something percent of it is correctable. And it's, it's just based on communication and experience and everybody learning to work together. All right. I agree with everything that he just said. I think they will be better this week. Obviously, a test will be stiff going against Arizona State and Emory Jones and, and an offense that, that does have decent amount of firepower, shockingly enough. All right. When you look at what happened last week against Central Michigan, first of all, not all that dissimilar to App State. A lot of yards and plays were made there in the fourth quarter. Okay, so chalk it up to maybe the tiniest bit of fatigue. Um, in the first half, they played pretty well for the most part. But there in the fourth quarter, it's almost like they let their foot off the gas. And as a result, Central Michigan was able to really kind of get things going. They gave up 44 points and 546 yards. Uh, that's just not going to happen. And if you look at the stat line for the quarterback of Central Michigan, I mean, he was carving them up all over the field. And... Arizona State has better athletes for the most part than Central Michigan. So they're going to need to make a statement, I think, this week because there was a significant drop-off as far as tackling is concerned. Uh, there was a significant drop-off as far as uh, their ability to play in the open field. There were some issues on defense that, that are not very easily correctable. They are correctable, but they are not very easily correctable. All right, there were a couple bright spots. Kendall Daniels, uh, you know, freshman. First start ever at Oklahoma State. He was off the charts good, led the team in tackles, had 11 tackles, and recorded an interception. So I think if there's one thing that we can take away from last week is the emergence of a good, young centerpiece. And Kendall Daniels is something that you could certainly rally around. So that veteran group defensively along the front, those guys need to play better. Second-level defenders, really in the second half, need to play much better. They played okay in the first half. And in the back end, they, of course, need to cover down a little bit better as well. So I think there's room for growth for sure, but I think they can get there because I really like this defensive staff. All right, number eight. Can Iowa find an offense, maybe score a touchdown, against Iowa State this weekend? <laughs> are, you, uh, are you convinced that they can actually get it done? Because I'm not. Um, <laughs> I saw a couple of headlines as, you know, I've just wanted to kind of stay up and, and kind of – kind of keep my finger on the pulse for Iowa. And one of the headlines is, did Iowa actually get worse on offense this year? Um, let's keep in mind, people are going to see South Dakota State and they're going to say, well, you know, South Dakota State, they're an FCS team. Well, they're ranked number three in the FCS. This is a really, really good time. Really, really good team. The Hawkeyes also took to the field without top running back and two of their top three wide receivers. So, I think that that's you know, some of the issues that certainly played into the performance last week. You have a couple of injuries. Um, I mean, Justin Britt was lost for the season. Jackson Ritter uh, was, was out, obviously, this past week as well. Dante Vines isn't expected to come back from injury until at least the midway point of the season. So if you really look at this team, they're kind of a... It's it's kind of a tough spot because they are really thin and they don't have a lot of really scary weapons right now. So first thing they got to do is they got to get healthy. They, they really have to get healthy and they have to do a better job, I think, along the line of scrimmage. Because if Iowa's going to make their hay, 
It's going to be with their offensive line and run game. And there was no indicator that they'd be able to get that done moving forward with what I saw from the tape last week. All right, number nine. Will Boston College or Virginia Tech rebound after a tough loss last week? I, I mean, I think Boston College is, is going to be okay. I mean, they, they had plenty of opportunities to put that thing away. Uh, and honestly, it, they played against a, a decent Rutgers team. I mean, it's not, Rutgers is not, you know, the two and 10 Rutgers of yesteryear. They're a much more capable opponent than they once were. So I think Boston College will be just fine. Virginia Tech, on the other hand, I have a few more concerns about them. Uh, obviously, Grant Wells, he has a big arm, but the decision-making is not something that's just going to flush itself out over the course of time. The guy's a gunslinger. That's who he is. So he is going to take risks with the football, and if there's days when he's not on, it's going to result in quite a bit of turnovers and potentially really difficult spots. So Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, has me a little concerned. Full disclosure. They also made a couple of key issues. And honestly, the reason why they lost is their own. I mean, you fumble a, I mean, you snap the ball and, and miss a, a kick and they take it to the house. I mean, they're not going to lose that game if that play doesn't happen. But either way, it's uh, too many errors last week in Brent Price debut. They got to get those things ironed out. All right. And last question. Number 10. Will Stanford challenge USC down on the farm? Let's take a listen to head coach David Shaw. Well, I always remind people that we've been playing USC longer than we've been playing Cal. Um, so it's our longest rival. And regardless of conference realignment, um, I hope that continues. Um, our alumni love the competition. Um, the year-to-year clashing of different styles, uh, I think, is, is plays well. Um, I think we've had a lot of exciting games, really, especially over the, the time that I've been here. Um, exciting games that have gone both ways. A lot of great players in those games. So um, my hope and wish is that this rivalry continues regardless of conference affiliation. Well, you look at Stanford and and look, how much can you really take from a win over Colgate? Okay, but it snapped a seven-game losing streak. And if you remember how SC and Stanford played last year, the Cardinals blew out SC, which inevitably led to the firing of Clay Helton. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise for SC fans as they look at just how that thing totally unfolded. Um, I think if you look at really the first play, you could tell maybe this Stanford team's just a little bit different. 87 yard touchdown run by EJ Smith. That's Emmett Smith's son, by the way, he finished with 168 total yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he enters the weekend as the PAC 12's leading rusher. So, you know, I've, clearly he's got some juice and he's got the bloodlines to be a really, really, really good player. Uh, SC's lost four of the last five road matchups against Stanford. Uh, now, I think SC's a whole heck of a lot better today than they've been in any of those previous matchups. Tanner McKee, however, at quarterback for Stanford, showed that why he's a top-end quarterback prospect. A lot of people think he might be a first-round pick. And I thought he looked really comfortable Completed nearly 82% of his passes, threw for over 300 yards, a couple touchdown passes, did have the interception. Uh, there were four turnovers, I might add, for Stanford. So to route an FCS team with four turnovers is pretty good thing. They got to be able to hold on to the football. They had four fumbles in the game and lost three of them on punt returns. So they got to clean things up for sure. But 
I do think Stanford, for whatever reason, has kind of had SC's number. Will they be able to do it in the Lincoln Riley era? I find it really difficult to believe, but either way, uh, hopefully they can hang in there for three quarters so we can have a compelling watch there in the nightcap on Saturday. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. All right, it's Wednesday, so you know what that means. It means another great edition of Eli's Places. Listen on why Eli thinks a certain school is QBU. BYU's success was all powered by an assembly line of star quarterbacks. One quarterback after another coming out of that school. Guys like Steve Young. Jim McMahon. And my Sherpa, two-time All-American and Heisman winner, Ty Detmer. Detmer, touchdown! There it is. We made it. We made it. Oh, that was easy. So how did a record-setting high school quarterback from Texas get to Provo, Utah, besides obviously in a truck? Yeah, you know, we, we threw it a little bit in high school. My dad was the coach. Back then, not many teams really threw the ball, so kind of started looking, and BYU just won the national championship in 84, and then you kind of learned about the QB tradition up here and all the names that had played there that went on to the NFL. So just really piqued my interest and started learning a little more about it. What was Lavelle Edwards like, and why did he have so much success recruiting quarterbacks and coaching them up? Well, I think recruiting-wise, you know, is one of the few places to go as a quarterback to really have a chance to throw the ball. He had some great coaches, Doug Scoville, Mike Holmgren, Norm Chow. Is this as good an offensive team as you've ever been around here? Yeah. All these guys kind of came through the system, so it was a natural fit for quarterbacks. And then his demeanor, no matter the situation, if you, you won, it was the same Lavelle. If you lost, it was the same Lavelle. <laughs> if you listen to Eli's places, QBU being BYU, I don't know if I can get on board with that. I'm not. Look, I'm. I went to Alabama. Like a long list of guys that have been drafted there. I'm not going to sit here and make the claim that 
Bama's QBU. If I had to go QBU, Mark, I'd like to get your take on this as well. If I had to go QBU, I, because of my the era that I was living in, I would always probably go with SC, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, there's... There's a lot of there's a lot of schools that can make a claim for QBU. Yeah, there are. And now let me just say this. Uh, being a Notre Dame fan, I, I can't accept SC whatsoever. <laughs> and Ty Detmer stole the Heisman Trophy from Rocket Ishmael. So I don't agree with that either. Oh, boy. Uh, currently, I would actually say it's Alabama. You know, I like I think it. look at everybody in the league and how, who many how many players have been drafted. Uh, Miami. I mean, who else has a case? No, nobody. I don't think Miami does. That's for sure. Uh, I. I'm trying to think of like anyone else that, that would potentially Oklahoma. Oklahoma would definitely have a really good case, uh, an excellent case. And it's been like that for quite a while. So especially in the last 20 years, I mean, shoot, they have what four Heisman trophy winners, Kyler, Jason white, Sam Bradford and Baker. So yeah. I'd say that's a pretty good starting point. <laughs> so look, we really appreciate you being with us. Thank you for putting up with my voice today. Uh, doing the best we can here. Uh, just battling. Usually I get sick in the football season in like October. Maybe it just came early this year, but either way, it's fine. We're going to get through it, but I appreciate you putting up with me. It'll be awesome here and I'll feel better. Hopefully in a day or two, just got to dial into the Mucinex. We're going to do a dial into that for sure. For all of us here at Always College Football, we hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at alwayscfb on Instagram, and on Twitter. You can interact with the show in the comments on the ESPN YouTube channel too. So make sure you like, make sure you rate, make sure you subscribe. It really helps us out. And tell your friends too. Word of mouth is huge in this line of work. So tell your friends, hey man, we're talking college football every day. Come spend it with us. We appreciate the time. and We appreciate the word of mouth. Thanks so much for all the positive positive things you've said about the show so far up to this point. You've helped out a ton. So we appreciate this grassroots movement that you're helping us with. We really, really appreciate it. For all of us here at Always College Football, we hope you have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.